Hi, I'm Amy Kluber, and welcome to today's episode. We're diving into zero trust at DoD, specifically how that is playing out for the Indo-Pacific region. We recently had the opportunity to connect with several zero trust leaders at the AFSIA TechNet Indo-Pacific Conference in Honolulu where they shared with us how they're thinking about this quickly changing landscape and what it means for cybersecurity. So DOD's Zero Trust Office is currently reviewing implementation plans for most of the services and combatant commands. So we hear more from the Pentagon Zero Trust Portfolio Management Office Director, Randy Resnick, on that progress. We also heard from the Air Force's Zero Trust Director, Justin Stoltman, who talks more about how the service has been thinking about Zero Trust and what lies ahead as its implementation plan goes through the process. And over at Indopaycom, we also connected with Deputy CIO Paul Nicholson. So he brings more of that perspective about how Zero Trust ties into the mission partner environment. The department has been on somewhat of a um, accelerated Zero Trust journey, starting with creating their office. So um, how is that um, implementation roadmap been going? I know you're reviewing a lot of those uh, plans right now with yep. services. Yep. Um, and what are some of the next steps in that journey? So uh, we came out with our Zero Trust strategy, which was a really big deal for uh, everybody involved. I'm very proud of the team uh, uh, that put that together. Uh, it was the first time that uh, the DOD expressed uh, what they wanted out of Zero Trust and described uh, the level we needed to achieve. Uh, and uh, uh, one year after the strategy, uh, was a requirement to actually submit an implementation plan. So we have received, as of two weeks ago, uh, the implementation plans of all the DOD components. We're receiving or have received 40 of them. So we're reviewing the Zero Trust uh, implementation plans right now. Uh, they're pretty thick. I have a uh, team of 20 full-time personnel the majority of my portfolio office, and then we actually asked for some help uh, to review these full-time. Uh, so we're expecting the whole process is going to take about six weeks, and probably at the end of it there's going to be uh, a handful of people, a handful of components that are still going to have to work on their, their plans. That's expected. Uh, uh, this is a really big change for everybody, uh, but the fact that the majority of them are, have submitted, and what I see when I reviewed it uh, before I came out here. I was very, very pleased with uh, the content. So this is uh, this is a big achievement for the DoD, and it's a big move from a cybersecurity perspective. Absolutely. Um, we're here in the Indo-Pacific region, and so I wanted to get a touch of um, or a sense from you on how Zero Trust is kind of playing out in this region, and specifically, is there any unique challenges that uh, is is unique to this region versus others that Zero Trust is really going to, I guess, help? Yeah. So. So I can think of two really big things that uh, uh, stick out for me from an Indo-PACOM perspective. Uh, we could see in the skirmishes or the wars that are going on in the world today uh, that the need of a single country to uh, protect themselves is uh, less, it's more diminished and it's more about allies. So when it comes to the Indo-Pacific arena, it's all about our allies and facing uh, the threats that we, that everybody faces here. So the concept here in Indo-PACOM of a mission partner environment, I mean, we have these things globally, but particularly in the Indo-Pacific region, uh, mission partner environments or the ability to communicate with our allies is super important. And uh, the uh, dynamic nature of uh, uh, creating them uh, when needed and then to tear them down when needed 
uh, needs to be uh, very automated. And so Zero Trust plays into that extremely seamlessly because with Zero Trust, um, uh, one of the main principles of it is uh, uh, least privilege. Uh, so we can remove or add people and accesses to certain files or folders at will. Uh, we could create and tear down uh, communities of interest at will. So the whole digitalization of uh, the future of communication networks is leaning into uh, the, the strengths of cybersecurity with zero trust. Uh, the other thing that I see is uh, the need, uh, th this is really coming from the joint staff, but also all the services. In a denied environment, that's the terminology being used, is essentially we assume we're going to be always connected to the internet, or we're going to have our communication paths always there and they'll never really be removed. But the reality in war uh, uh, is that you can't depend on those network connections. And so when we lay down zero trust in the future, it has to have its innate ability to still operate um, so the services in the military can conduct their mission that they need to do, even if they're disconnected from the internet. Uh, so the idea of uh, being in a denied or completely disconnected environment and still have zero trust capable capability uh, to be uh, um, uh, exercised and, and, and used needs to needs to be there. And so the key thing there is identity. The foundation of Zero Trust is identity. So the secret sauce there is that we're going to have to cache uh, the identity pieces, the essential identity pieces locally uh, at the last mile. So if in the event we get disconnected, um, Zero Trust still operates because you're going to have that fundamental identity piece with you. And so we're actually doing some experiments on that. We're doing pilots in that arena. It's all happening in fiscal 24. Um, that's, this is where it's most pronounced, is in the uh, Indopaycom AOR area of operations, uh, DDIL, uh, or disconnected last mile environment, as well as the mission partner environment. And we're very heavily focused on that uh, within the Zero Trust Portfolio Office, because that is really what is needed, in addition to just an air-conditioned, you know, enterprise sort of solution. Okay. What are some of the challenges the department is facing in orchestrating some of these efforts across the different combatant commands with such different missions and operations? So one of the biggest challenges there is to make sure that everybody is synchronized. So when we came out with our strategy, we also came out with a deadline. We said at the end of fiscal 27, you needed to achieve target level zero trust. And that's what led uh, to the uh, implementation plans that we just received. One of the biggest challenges that we're seeing in the implementation plans is that everybody is delivering their implementation plans uh, at a slightly different solution, which was exactly what we wanted them to do. We wanted the components to choose how to get to target level. Um, but uh, some of them are doing it in different ways. And the hard part for our portfolio office is to keep track of all of this. So it's about actually uh, procurement and the actual implementation. So uh, what I'm looking forward to is uh, what I believe is by the end of uh, um, uh, this fiscal year, in fiscal 24, let's say late summer, early fall, fall I'm hoping that the services and the components are going to be actually buying these solutions. It's one thing for us to approve their approach, uh, which we will do. We'll eventually all get there very, very soon. Uh, but then once we approve, we are expecting them to make procurements happen. And that's when they're going to start engaging heavily with the vendors. Uh, contracts are going to be established. 
uh, and deliveries are going to occur. And that's when really the hardware software hits the ground uh, and applications, users, their data start moving. And so that's all going to happen in calendar 24. That is the most exciting thing, I think, probably closing out the first phase of uh, zero trust in the DoD is we've built up all of this uh, documentation. Now we have the implementation plans. What exactly are you going to do? Uh, now we're approving these plans. And then the last step is implement. Do it. And uh, then we will track implementation. It's not going to be easy, but they're going to start implementing. And that is uh, a huge win. It's a huge win for us. Absolutely. Uh, fascinating look at, you know, it's not just about the policy. You have to think, okay, well, here's the policy, here's the tools. Now move right. on it. <laughs> right. And how, um, many, how many stories like this do you really hear? You know, it's really, really hard to move 2.2 million endpoints uh, to a new cyber strategy. Absolutely. No easy feat. Um, so with these plans underway and some of the things that are coming up and um, approving the plans, yeah. uh, what are you looking forward to in the coming year? <laughs> um, the implementation. Um, hoping that we uh, could take a look at the strategy and maybe update it. Like, for example, our strategy is very IT-based. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, vulnerabilities are coming at us more from, uh, from th places other than IT. For example, uh, we have OT, we have IoT, we have SCADA. Um, so there's other vulnerabilities going on in the DOD that the adversary could possibly get in through the side door or a back door. So it's one thing to cover zero trust from an IT perspective, which is great. It's the majority of what we're doing. Uh, but we believe, or I believe, uh, that the team needs to start thinking about other vectors to add on to the strategy. So I would love to have uh, Internet of Things, uh, um, operational technologies, I really want to tackle the SCADA, ICS SCADA uh, challenges, uh, which have uh, um, um, complications in the civilian world because a lot of the SCADA is, is not owned by uh, the DOD, but we're a user of water, power, things of that nature. So securing that using zero trust techniques is a really big challenge from a cybersecurity perspective. Um, and we'll be champions for it. We're not going to solve that problem, but we're opening up conversations with a whole lot of other people who are starting to now think through this problem. If we can capture um, the essence of it to make a strategy out of it, set a deadline, uh, then I think uh, that would be the natural next phase for the portfolio office. And then we would track that progress. Absolutely. So it might not end in the end of 27. I think it's just the first first big phase of a multi-phased effort to get DOD the majority of uh, uh, zero trust thinking in all the vectors that a, a, a cyber adversary could attack us. The Air Force's Zero Trust Implementation Plan was released earlier this year. Um, what progress have you seen? What are some of your next priorities in the coming year with that plan? 
Yeah, absolutely. So our implementation plan largely focused on traditional enterprise IT assets. So uh, really focused around our Nipper domain, our, our 23 different Zipper domains, our Cloud One instance, and everything that's hosted there. Uh, what we begin to turn our focus to is all those non-traditional EIT systems. So weapon systems, mission systems, IoT SCADA, uh, all of these different more complex components, things that necessarily can't take an agent or uh, are just more difficult by nature, right? When we launch a satellite, it's not like we can go back up and re-architecture the uh, IT embedded within it. So that's where we've turned our focus to uh, over the past couple of weeks. We submitted our iPlan, I believe it is now four weeks ago, to the DOD CIO. Um, incredibly proud of the team on that one. That was a, uh, a massive push. Uh, so. it's, uh, it sounds like a lot of pressure, right? There's a, a ton of pressure, but also an incredible amount of buy-in from our senior leaders. They understand the importance of what we're doing here, uh, the impact to the warfighter that's going to come out of this. So um, incredibly grateful just to be part of it. Awesome. Um, how does Zero Trust ultimately impact air superiority, and what does that mean for defense operations and partnerships, particularly here in the Indo-Pacific region? Yeah, absolutely. So what, um, and I mentioned this yesterday, as well as part of my panel, but uh, a byproduct of what we're getting with Zero Trust is a near infinite resiliency. When the network is um, down to nothing more than a medium that passes bits and bytes, the, you can simplify your domains or begin to collapse them to an extent where um, you know an airman at the tactical edge can leverage their mobile hotspot to connect to whatever they need to, or they can leverage uh, satcoms or anything that's available to them when they do need to light up those communication paths. And so being able to provide that is critical to this region. Uh, and then similarly, uh, the other thing we're working at uh, for this region and kind of across our tactical edge community is we're building a flyaway kit that has these requirements, these solutions baked into it from the beginning, not as a not as a kit to sell to ourselves, but as a kit more of a demonstration of what this can do uh, at the tactical edge. And so we're really looking forward to uh, deploying that out in the XCOM roundup out at Robbins Air Force Base in 2024, um, and then likely taking it to exercises out here as well, being able to uh, agilely deploy applications at the tactical edge uh, without having to light up communications and then knowing that communications is available when you need it. How do you see broader efforts like um, Zero Trust and CHF, C2 impacting how you're approaching communications in this complicated environment? It's amazing because both, both Zero Trust, uh, uh, as you know, we look at National Security Memorandum 8 and National Security Memorandum 10 from, from our presidential uh, authorities, and said that we we will do zero trust. It is it is a new transformation for how we are changing our networks from where we used to defend at the boundary to how we're defending at the data le level and how we're looking at how to for every user to authorize the user to have access to the data, right? Um, people often refer to it from an example of a house, right? Uh, in our older way of defending a network, you basically, you had keys to get in the house, and once you came into the house, you can open any room and go into any room. It was free landscape. That's the old defend at the boundary perspective. Zero Trust says, 
I have to have the key to get in the house. But if I want to go to the bedroom, I have to have a key to get into the bedroom as well. And once I get into the bedroom, if I want to go into the closet, I have to have a key to get into the closet. And once I get into the closet, if I want to take out a coat, I have to have permission to grab that coat. So it's down to the data level and there's an optimization for any process, any data, any, any service. You have to be authorized and the, and the service know you and you know the service in it and that's an approved connection. It's a, it is a cultural change with how we do security, moving from the boundary down to processes and data and people and authorization. So to me, that, 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 that change enables us. Now, now we move over to Command JADC2. You know that JADC2 has five levels of efforts, and, and one of the levels of efforts talks about mission partners uh, um, communications. Um, um, level of effort five is really focused on our mission partners. And it goes by to say, as we're building more secure networks and looking at how do we authorize movement of information down at the data level, I have to say, and how do we do that with partners? Some of our partners are advanced. Some of our partners are, are, are less advanced. And, and a concept that is complex, like zero trust, would be challenging for them. And so then we have to look at how do we do capacity building. One of the authorities of, of a geographic combatant commander is Theater Security Corporation. Building institutional capacity with partners as we communicate with the United States. So I work with those partners, say, from a cybersecurity capacity building perspective, how are you doing workforce design? How are you doing information protection design? What are your policies about security, which the U.S. has plenty? And so how do we share those policies? How do we share our tools? How do we share our training? How do we do joint exercises and experimentation together? And so from that perspective, looking at JETC2 as LOE5 working for secure mission partner environment to do command and control, it is taking the concept of zero trust, which is about defense, and building capacity with our partners so that we can do secure joint command and control. Absolutely. Um, and security is definitely part of the, the, the challenge there when you're talking about, uh, you know, dealing with the other gov governments and between those different right. partners. And um, what that means for data centricity is, you know, what does that mean? So from, that's great. Uh, from a data centricity perspective, you know, is everything we do has always been about the data, right? If that was if that was an economy, and I was looking at my intellectual property, it's about the data for intellectual property. But I'm in the military in terms of intelligence and surveillance and reconnaissance and, and capabilities, it's about the information in order to operate the military machine. And so now that you are driving at data centricity, is looking at what is the critical elements of data that we need to share together in order to operate together, together in a first and foremost in deterrence. But if unfortunately deterrence fail, how do we operate on the battlefield together? How do we share critical information so that we are protecting each other's flanks on the battle in the battle space to operate effectively? And that's about the data. What has been some of the, the top challenges when you're when we're talking about some of these data sharing challenges and how to enable you know broader concepts like CDC2, uh, especially recently with the, the shifting landscape in the region? 
what have been right. some of the top challenges for you to know right now? From a from a J six perspective, and then looking at looking at um, uh, again, we always talk about that, that, that term secure communication sharing. Uh, I would say that one of the top challenges is determining from both sides of the network. Um, pick any country, what is their definition of secure, what is the U.S. definition of secure, and drive that to a level of equivalency where we accept each other's definitions under agreement. Mm -hmm. And only then, if I understand how you want to protect the network and how I need to protect the network, now the technology is not the hard part. It is that commonality of how we agree to share information and protect information. And I think that's the first part, driving those policies to agree. Once we drive the policies to agree of how we're going to protect each other's information, then we can bring in our technology say, and this technology will, will do this, and this technology can protect the office environment, this one protects the, the infrastructure environment, this protects long-haul communications. There's plenty of technology uh, to share to, to get that done, but setting the left and right bounds of what is minimally essential in order to share information with any one country, uh, that's a challenge. It involves many parts of our government, the Department of State and Department of Commerce, and when you're talking about exporting technologies, it involves a lot of, of players. Uh, and then from the other side as well, it involves their players. So often this process can move a little slower than we would intend it to. But uh, from a J6 perspective, uh, the, the challenge is making sure that we're looking at this from, the, from policy boundaries so that we can use technology to secure the information. So those were the highlights to Zero Trust in the Indo-Pacific region. If you want to check out the full interviews, head to govciomedia.com or check out the links in the show notes. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review. Don't forget to follow and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com. <laughs>